0: Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the June 24th, 2019 edition of IMRU Radio Magazine.
1: The world's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show, but now proudly including the queer and intersex communities in our mission statement.
0: I'm Abby Dees, And
1: I'm Wenzel Jones.
0: Tonight, as we promised last week, a special TTV, Talk to Vosh.
1: With Josh Howard about his award-winning documentary, The Lavender Scare.
0: And before we say goodbye to Pride Month, a revisit to my March interview with Lynn Segerblom, co-creator of The Rainbow Flag.
1: But first, the honest tea.
0: Have you noticed how different Pride Month has been this year?
1: Super corporate that way?
0: Yeah, rainbow yeah. flags mm-hmm. everywhere. Rainbow
1: products you would never expect to find, like, what was it, Listerine? We were talking No. Yeah, Listerine. Yeah. You,
0: you are obsessed with the Starbucks Pride disco mug?
1: Yeah, I, I think that was just poorly marketed and got rebranded as a Pride mug.
0: So I'm very conflicted about this. I know you're conflicted about this because I don't know how much to trust brazen capitalism and civil rights.
1: True. And it has been pointed out to me that if they were a little kid and they saw this much pride around, as a child, you don't care where it comes from. You're just so thrilled to see it at all. And that needs to be acknowledged.
0: Well, so I'm wondering if you and I are just jaded.
1: Oh, could be. Or
0: just, yeah. Old. (laughs) Or old. Do we trust anything? I
1: don't trust anybody anymore. Just you.
0: this, oh, thank you. And you went to
1: law school, so that's a leap.
0: Does that make me more trustworthy? No less. Oh, we're going to have a talk.
1: Generally. Okay. All right.
0: But this story, I was going to be a little bit more critical and snarky about this Mm -hmm. until I realized that Scott Turner Schofield was very much involved in this and... I trust him on this one. Inherently. I really I inherently trust him on this one. So, Mastercard has mm. just launched their true name campaign, mm. focusing on the chosen names right. of their transgender and non-binary customers, and they are starting a campaign to make it easy for people to change their names right. and not be dead named.
1: I mean, dead name is the name they were born with, right. and then the name they choose to live by is the one that acknowledges their, their new, name. yeah, their new gender identity or wherever on the spectrum so this is a
0: huge issue oh yeah and nearly one-third of trans and non-binary people according to the national center for transgender equality say they have been harassed or denied service after showing an id card that did not match their identity right scott turner schofield as we mentioned who is a great friend of the show is also affiliated with GLAAD's Transgender Media Project. And he was a consultant Mm -hmm. on these discussions. And he told The Washington Post that MasterCard was so gung-ho about the initiative. That's how he described it. He said, I didn't have to convince anyone of the necessity of this. They were completely on board and recognized this as a barrier of access to people, as unfair, and they just fixed it. That's the kind of corporate leadership we really want to see.
1: A large portion of the transgender community doesn't even have a credit card. Yeah. Because they are one of the poorest segments of the LGBT.
0: They face terrible unemployment issues, discrimination in 30 states at least. People can be freely denied employment openly because they are trans or non-binary. And Scott said it took about four years from the start of his transition to legally change his Mm -hmm. name. So it's not just, oh, go down to the DMV because you just got married and changed your name. Well,
1: and that's such a cisgender white male approach, too, because I will never have to change my name unless I so choose to do so. So, and well, same
0: here. I'm yeah, just yeah, telling yeah. you. Yeah. But yeah.
1: So it, but it is not easy and when we were kids our mothers pretty much for the most part all changed their names and nobody acknowledged how much trouble it was because you know, it was what was done. But Exactly. It is problematic.
0: When my mom split from my dad mm-hmm. in the late 60s, she had no credit in her name. She really really struggled to establish her own name legally. And they
1: didn't even allow women to have credit without their husband's no. approval did they until I think it was the 70s. I think you it depended had to really on the institution. Fight for it. Yeah.
0: And she did. I think this is great. And it yeah. makes good business sense and maybe we don't have to do the evaluation is this just pandering or is right. this a good thing? Right. It just makes good business sense to make things work for your customers.
1: Well, and the thing is apparently getting a, a Mastercard under your chosen name, you do not have to legally change your name. It will be linked to your dead name, the name you were born with until you go about getting that legally changed, but it'll be linked to that. But the card will show your chosen name.
0: So you so, won't get harassed when you right, go right, and Right, right. Because, things. of
1: course, people go, oh, well, it sounds like an invitation to fraud. But no, it's not. I mean, no more so than any other credit card is.
0: It's very interesting to me because it tells me that corporations, mm-hmm. and I have noticed this pattern in the last 10 years or so, corporations do often seem to be a little ahead of the curve compared to the general public around adopting these things. Right. Which kind of shows that a lot of the fear-mongering around Mm -hmm. these issues are BS because corporations, they do their research. They do. They know how this stuff works. But the Washington Post article about this, because it's the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. you would think its readership would be kind of hip to this stuff, This policy was excoriated in the comments to this article.
1: I was so glad you shared that with me because I don't have a subscription to The Washington
0: Post. (laughs) But you saw the comments. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They were kind of fascinating. And it was was what we were saying before. People were screaming, fraud, fraud, what's the big deal? Just go down and change your name. This is ridiculous. Why do we pander to these people? In The Washington Post.
0: My first thought was, well... Okay, how hard is it to change your name? So a little Googling,
1: mm-hmm. and 10
0: minutes later, mm-hmm. I had a lot more information about how actually hard it is when you are trans to change your name. Yeah. And, and all the name changes associated with marriage are often fast-tracked, and people expect that. Right. So if you're a woman and your license says something different and it's the same gender,
1: right.
0: and you say, oh, I got married, people won't think twice. No, no, not at all. This is a completely different thing. You often yeah. need a court order. That's up to the judge's discretion. Sometimes you need proof of gender change, And sometimes that requires Mm -hmm. proof of surgery. As we know, surgery is not just an one-size-fits-all thing. No. And certainly problematic and not something that every trans and And non-binary person is interested in. And super expensive. you got to deal with the Social Security Administration. Mm -hmm.
1: On Lila Garrett's show on Monday mornings on Connect the Dots, her daughter wanted to get a California Real ID. And this is what you'll need to travel with if you fly domestically if you don't have a passport. So it is important to get one. When she went to the DMV with all of her paperwork, they looked at, if I'm remembering this correctly, they looked at her birth certificate and said, this is not the same name because she had changed her name when she married. But she certainly didn't go back and change her birth certificate. And it was an incredible problem. And this is, I don't think I'm overstating it. This is a white woman of means.
0: Cisgendered woman. Yeah,
1: cisgendered woman. Yeah. And even she was having trouble with it. So you can only imagine what it's like if you're changing your gender. Yeah. And... You don't have the time to hang out at the DMV all day.
0: I tried to get real ID. I didn't realize that my social security card had been wrong. It had the wrong name for me (laughs) since the day I was born, and I never really noticed.
1: Oh, your dead name
0: my dead name. (laughs) I do not go by that name. That delayed my real ID process for many, many months and involved sitting on hold with the Social Security Administration for two hours and then giving up and all, you know.
1: Yeah. So making any kind of change in an American bureaucracy, well, any bureaucracy is incredibly difficult. It's not easy for anyone.
0: No, but I was really struck by the fact that everyone had all their attitudes about this. And Mm -hmm. apparently no one was inclined to actually just maybe Google How hard is it to change your name when you're trans? That's research.
1: That's hard.
0: I'd rather just sit here and (laughs) wag my finger at somebody and not know a damn thing. So anyway,
1: yay MasterCard. Yay
0: MasterCard. All right, this brings us to, are they pandering or is it real or does it matter? Issue number two. Mm -hmm. Senator Kamala Harris.
1: Yes, and I'm glad you said it first because I still have to go Kamala Kamala. Kamala Kamala. Kamala.
0: (laughs) And Democratic presidential hopeful.
1: I know. And anyway, she's introducing a bill to mandate PrEP coverage and that's pre-exposure prophylaxis. And that is Truvada, the brand name, manufactured by Gilead. And that is what you take to prevent. If you're HIV negative, it gives you a huge percentage of preventing uh, infection. And while we do have this sort of thing in Los Angeles County, across the country, it's very hard to access because it's an expensive drug.
0: $20,000 a year. Yeah not necessarily covered by your insurance. Mm -mm. So her proposed bill called the PrEP Access and Coverage Act would require all public and private health insurance plans, including Medicare and Medicaid, to cover the drugs used for PrEP right now, just that drug by Gilead, Truvada, Truvada. And
1: also if you apply for insurance and you're on PrEP, they can't discriminate against you either.
0: Right, Yeah. for life insurance and long-term care insurance, and it would also cover the care that you need around it, because Mm -hmm. if you are HIV positive and you Mm -hmm. are taking this and not in a combination with other drugs, that can actually increase your drug resistance, which is very bad and and always an issue for HIV. This is... Fascinating. Apparently, one million people in this country are at risk of HIV, and only seven percent have filled prep scripts. Actually, as of 2016.
1: And and we don't want to treat prep like it's aspirin. It is a serious drug. It you, is a serious. You don't drug. take it lightly.
0: So you do need care around that. Yeah. So I mean, this sounds like a great thing. Good for you. It does, Kamala and Harris.
1: I was surprised to read that Gilead has not been sharing the profits, even though the research yes. was paid for by. The federal government. I guess
0: they were supposed to give some of that back.
1: Mm -hmm. No. It hasn't happened yet. No,
0: it hasn't yet. They're making
1: token gestures.
0: Token gestures. So is this a token gesture?
1: It does seem a little... Opportunistic? A little. And yet, even if it is opportunistic, yay, because the discussion needs to be held. Because we take it for granted in a place like Los Angeles that, well, everybody's fine. Well, everybody is not fine by a long shot.
0: And a presidential hopeful right. is starting her campaign right. with this kind of thing. Right. Something's changed. Did you see the South Carolina Democratic Convention speeches?
1: I did not. Okay. I'm bad. Well, <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll just give you a summary. Something really has changed in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It, did it take Trump for Democrats to actually start talking the talk properly? I, I guess so. Yeah. Another conversation, yeah. another time. But want
1: to acknowledge that.
0: They were all, including Kamala Harris, right. really talking about intersectionality, yeah. not just yeah. saying, oh yeah, we need to include people too. I mean they they knew that mm-hmm. they have to talk knowledgeably about these issues. Right. They can't just say, and we mean LGBTQ too. Right. <laughs> the policing of black people mm-hmm. and ICE. I mean yeah. all these issues yeah. are at the forefront. Yeah. And so they are talking about this. But they're also stumbling a bit, like Joe Biden, who doesn't have a racist bone in his body. Oh, come on. Really? You said that?
1: Yeah. Well, in, in the pandering department, Joe Biden's stopping by the Stonewall Inn for a beer. Is mm. that now going to be one of the political stations of the cross? I don't know. It didn't look like something he would normally be doing. (laughs) No.
0: Although (laughs) I do know somebody that did go to a bar with him and have a beer and thought he was one of the smartest people he'd ever talked to. Oh,
1: good. Yeah. So
0: watching Pete Buttigieg Mm -hmm. leave his fish fry Mm -hmm. to go meet with protesters Mm -hmm. who were protesting yet another police-involved shooting of a black man. In Pete Buttigieg's town, South Bend, Indiana. South Bend, Indiana. And he looked a little uncomfortable and like he was trying to say the right things. I was a little embarrassed for him and kind right. of wanting to like prod him along. But at the same time, that was exactly what he needed to be doing. And yes, it Well, and being on a awkward. political
1: trail, there are so many opportunities to look bad. You're going to have to look bad once in a while. And that's simply the way it works. And of course, that will be the event that gets blown up and run Virally, forever. But the people
0: talking to yeah. him were justifiably wary. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't blame them for saying, OK, you can yeah. stand here and say this with the cameras rolling. What are you going to do? Yeah. And I guess I feel this way a little bit about these other things. Like, OK, mm. all right, I'll give you some credit right now for doing this. Kamala Harris. Yeah. Great. Good bill. We need it. Um and if
1: we could circle back to the healthcare aspect of it once again if we had single payer healthcare in this country we wouldn't have to do this piecemeal thing where this specific drug gets introduced and these are the specific coverages and this is how insurance companies have to treat you this is also unnecessary in a developed
0: country why do we even have to do this we mm-hmm. right now our health policy law and policy seems to be marching towards criminalizing sex oh, yeah. unless it's white cis men right straight yeah. men having sex because viagra never seems to be an issue never. In these things it's, 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 no. covered, yeah. it's covered it's covered it's yeah. covered contraception abortion mm-hmm. people at risk for hiv right. the need for prep yeah we this really, has to be
1: discussed it becomes a moral issue yeah
0: because we're encouraging people to have sex yeah. who shouldn't be having sex only straight white cis exactly. men should be having sex figure the logic on that
1: Oh, if only we could convince old white politicians that things like education and healthcare would give them firm, long-lasting erections, our problems would be solved. Oh, Wenzel. Well, it's
0: true. You are so correct on this. I'm actually sort of speechless right now. That's kind of the end of that. And that's it for Honesty. It's all been solved. Now implement. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Moving on. New York is to become the sixth state, we hope, to nullify the gay panic or trans panic defense in cases of murder. And they follow the states of California, Connecticut, Illinois, Rhode Island and Nevada.
0: Can I just say that's not very many states. It's not very (laughs) many states. And until I saw this article, I thought this was a done thing in that gay panic, queer panic, trans panic defenses were from another era. I mean, you know, a few years ago, but still.
1: But it's not that these crimes are not happening against. No,
0: people are still bringing these cases in front of juries. And whether Mm -hmm. or not anyone formally raises that defense, juries still bring their biases and everything else. But just to back up a second, If you are not familiar with what we're talking about, a panic defense is when a perpetrator of a crime claims that their victim's sexual orientation or gender identity was a mitigating circumstance. That circumstance would explain or even excuse their loss of self-control and the violent act. And the American Bar Association issued a resolution in 2013 opposing these. I think that's why I thought that this was officially done. And it's used in diminished capacity, um, insanity Mm -hmm. defenses, even self-defense. You know, they came on to me. And, and of course, that understandably sent me into a rage that I should be absolved of. Because
1: what is more damaging than being thought of as a gay man?
0: Nothing. Yeah. (laughs) The gay panic defense was famously used in the defense of the murder of Matthew Shepard because Mm -hmm. Shepard supposedly came on to the It didn't work in any formal sense, but I'm sure it factored in. And in California, most famously, it was used as a defense the trans panic defense, in the murder of Gwen Araujo, a trans woman, in 2004. And I found this really interesting quote by one of the prosecutors in that case. So the prosecutor, the person that is trying to put someone behind bars for committing a murder, he said, Gwen being transgender was not a provocative act, but that Gwen made some decisions in her relation with these defendants that were impossible to defend. I don't think most jurors are going to think it's okay to engage someone in sexual activity knowing they assume you have one sexual anatomy when you don't. So this is the prosecutor saying this.
1: And I wonder how much of this, and this is rhetorical, has to do with the way we sexualize straight men in this culture. Because the men I know who are comfortable with their sexuality I don't think would ever consider lashing out and murdering somebody if they were hit on. But it's the ones mm-hmm. who are the most insecure, many of whom are Republican congressmen, it seems, who are always getting you know, busted for situations they insist they had nothing to do with.
0: I kind of feel like we're even talking about this Andrew Cuomo, the um, governor of New York, Mm -hmm. said about this. This is an important win for LGBTQ people everywhere, the elimination of this defense in New York. And it's made all the more meaningful as we approach the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall uprising. That seems like a dubious celebration to me because we're celebrating 50 years of progress by saying you don't get to plead that you had to murder someone because you were freaked out by their queerness. That doesn't seem like progress to me. As
1: baby steps go, that's the babiest. It's pretty
0: much a baby step. But speaking of gay panic...
1: Okay, let's. (laughs) Mm. As
0: we mentioned at the top of the show, the documentary The Lavender Scare Mm -hmm. has been released this week in limited runs in theaters, I think in Los Angeles and New York, but Mm. also on PBS this month. And that is all about the effort by the U.S. government to get rid of, to route out lesbian and gay people from the civil service from the 1950s all the way into the 90s.
1: And it's very interesting. There, even if you think you know everything already, you don't.
0: No. So Bodhi is actually going to be talking with yeah. the director in a few minutes, and we'll share that with you. But there were a couple of things about that that I thought were fascinating. It mm-hmm. was the same thing, the panic, the gay panic yeah. thing. One of the first things Eisenhower did when he got into office was Start his executive order to get rid of perverts and deviants. That would be us.
1: And I was so surprised because you always think of Eisenhower as being that congenial golfer.
0: Guy down the middle.
1: Yeah, he was just, he was the head of a very, it wasn't a congenial time if you were a non-white, non. But anyway, I didn't realize he was actually personally that venal when it came to these things.
0: Well... The Red Scare had been going on for a little while, mm-hmm. Joseph McCarthy, mm-hmm. and apparently that was winding down a little bit, oh. and they'd kind of gotten rid of all their suspects, and they were losing some steam, and he needed a new group to target. Conveniently, we there we were. <laughs> and so what I didn't realize was that one of the precipitating factors for this program mm-hmm. was the release of alfred kinsey's 1948 report on men's sexual activity
1: oh right because that scared a lot of people because it said something like 40 percent I'm, I'm pulling one this out, out of my three,
0: head one out of three men said that they had had a homosexual experienced orgasm in their life yeah so that set gay panic yeah a fire in the u.s if you were secure i don't know that that statistic would have bothered you too much but it bothered no. joseph mccarthy
1: oh a lot of people and another fun thing, all the usual suspects will be narrating the documentary. Cynthia Nixon, Zachary Kinto, David Hyde-Pierce, and Glenn Close, who I think of as the Judith Light of PBS. If oh, it's she gay, Glenn Close will be there.
0: Oh, yeah. And Cynthia Nixon is starting to <laughs> step into those shoes, too, as Glenn Close goes off to her New England She
1: life. is. So anyway, since we're on the subject, Josh Howard's award-winning documentary, The Lavender Scare, premieres nationwide this month on PBS to address a little-known part of LGBTQ history in America.
0: The film's director recently spoke with our own Vosh Bodhi, which we just happen to have now, on this week's TTV Talk to Vosh.
2: This is Vosh Bodhi with another TTV Talk to Vosh. Institutionalized homophobia has been around for so long that many of us don't remember a time without it. Even fewer of us know how it came to be. Today, Emmy Award-winning producer Josh Howard talks about his documentary, The Lavender Scare, a film which chronicles the birth of government-sanctioned discrimination against the LGBTQ communities and the unlikely hero who rose to fight it.
3: My name is Josh Howard I'm the producer and director of the Lavender Scare documentary.
2: Josh's award-winning career at CBS News in 60 Minutes was about to come in handy. A chance encounter with a colorful novel was about to change his life.
3: I was happily retired from a long career in uh, television news and was not really looking for a project and I came across a book called The Lavender Scare, written by this guy, David Johnson. He's a professor at the University of South Florida. And I was just reading this book and I was stunned by this information. I'm in the generation, you know, a little bit after the heart of the, The Lavender Scare, but certainly growing up, you know, knew that the 1950s were not a great time to be gay in America. But what really shocked me when I was reading David's book was Really learning how systematically the government was going about tracking down and identifying and firing gay people and really ruining their lives. And I thought, this is amazing, this should be a film. looked around and suddenly I found I was the one who was making the film. got in touch with David Johnson and got to work on it. The Lavender Scare is an essential piece of gay history interwoven in the ups and downs of American civilization. The storyline of our film goes back to the 1920s, in uh, the years following the the start of the Great Depression, when the U.S. government was hiring a lot of people to work in the uh, programs of the New Deal. The workforce in Washington increased fourfold in the 1930s, and a lot of people who came to Washington for those new jobs were gay, disproportionately so. because. Uh, It gave them an opportunity to leave small towns where they felt somewhat isolated and come to a larger city where gay people had begun to uh, gravitate. So the story really begins at a time when Washington was a very welcoming place for gay men and lesbians.
2: While the world was making war, there was one who was interested in how people were making love. The book was supposed to provide sexual freedom,
3: but the Kinsey Report had an unexpected impact. Well, it had the reverse effect, because homosexuality was not something that the general population was really thinking about. The Kinsey Report comes out and says that 37% of American men have had at least one homosexual relationship. And that shocked people. And they're suddenly walking down the street thinking, I have one out of three people here, and you know, who is it, and you know, what about that guy? And it, it really provided the opportunity to play into the fears about sexuality and national security as it turned out.
2: The country is at war and national security is an
3: issue. The witch hunt begins. The theory was that gay people were susceptible to blackmail by enemy agents and would give up national secrets in exchange for keeping their sexuality secret. So the government went about trying to identify and then fire every gay man and lesbian working for the government.
2: An estimated 5,000 gays and lesbians had been fired under this new policy before the policy encountered the wrong, or some say the right individual, Frank Kameny.
3: I think it would be hard to find another single individual who contributed as much to the movement as Frank did. Frank was an astronomer. He had a PhD from Harvard University. And he worked for the US Army Map Service. He was sitting at his desk one day, and two civil service agents walked in and said, we have information you are a homosexual. What do you have to say in your defense? And he said in his defense, it's none of your business. That effectively was the end of his employment with the federal government. Frank said, this is wrong, and I'm going to fight to keep my job. The government in firing Frank Kameny created the leader of the movement
2: in that time period. Just like its director,
3: Josh Howard,
2: The Lavender Scare has
3: also won awards. Well, we did a number of film festivals and uh, won 18 awards for Best Documentary, which was which was gratifying. The
2: Lavender Scare caused people to lose more than just their jobs. For generations, it has had many
3: seeing their country had turned against them. One of the harms that the government policy did for the community was to reinforce this issue of gay people as criminals, untrustworthy, disloyal. And it was really something that cemented in people's minds that lasted for decades. Yeah, people say, well, how many people exactly lost their jobs? And that's kind of not the right question because it goes beyond that. It it created this whole homophobic atmosphere in the country. Once the U.S. government said, these people are are bad they're criminals they're immoral you know stay away from them it was the government giving its stamp of approval to homophobia history doesn't change but we always hope people will what i found most interesting about the project was talking to the people who instituted these policies in a way as tragic and heartbreaking the stories of the victims are you know there's something that isn't necessarily surprising about them we know that gay people have been victimized, and we can anticipate their stories. What I couldn't anticipate were the opinions and the recollections of the government officials who all these years later looked back at what they had done in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I was curious to hear if they were going to be defensive or apologetic, and to a person said that they believed what they did back then was the right thing to do. But what about? Today, they they said they wouldn't do the same thing, but they still believe that they did do the right thing for what the time was. So there was no remorse. Wow. That's a bummer. Well, it's both a bummer and it was fascinating to hear. One of the government officials we interviewed was still held particularly homophobic opinions. And after the interview, the cameraman said, you must have wanted to punch that guy. And I said, well, no, actually I wanted to give him a kiss because as a filmmaker, how valuable to have someone really express honesty and not use this occasion to in some phony way say, oh, I'm so sorry for what I did. So it was quite an enlightening experience.
2: The Lavender Scare is more than just a history lesson. It is full of messages
3: and even a few warnings. You know, when I started working on this project, I really saw it as an interesting look at an important part of our history that hasn't gotten the attention I think that it deserves, but still history. now there are certain messages of the film that are so relevant today in ways that they weren't just a couple of years ago. And I really hope it is a wake-up call that as much progress as we've made in the past, I think we have to be aware that the march of social equality doesn't necessarily continue in a straight line. There can be a step back for every two steps forward and the current political climate that we're in I think is a good example of that. And as the film describes, the homophobia of the 1950s was a direct reaction against a period of time in which gay people were allowed to live their lives without real overt discrimination and history does repeat itself. If you look now at the transgender ban in the military or the judges that are being appointed to federal courts that have clear histories of ruling against the interests of LGBT people or these religious liberty initiatives that are happening. They're real echoes of what happened in the 1950s, and I think it's important for for our community to understand that. When asked who
2: should see the Lavender Scare and why, Josh had this to say.
3: Well, everybody should see it, but uh, particularly I would say, Young people and young gay people should see it because I think it's important that we all understand our history and know what we've experienced. I really think it's important for our allies, our straight allies, to see this film because I think the more people who do understand what LGBTQ people have been through, how we've been treated by the government, and really what our own personal stories are, I think the more people that hear that do become our our allies and i think it's probably most important in a way for people who do not support our rights to see the film because even if it doesn't convince them that we deserve equality at least they will know that yes there was a time when we would go away quietly and not fight for our rights but that time is over and they can expect that we're going to be on the front lines fighting, and I think it's important that that message come through. This
2: is Vash Bode, and you have been listening to multi-award-winning Josh Howard talk about his multi-award-winning documentary, The Lavender Scare, an entertaining and energizing journey through LGBTQI history. To learn how you can see The Lavender Scare or arrange a screening for your organization, visit thelavenderscare.com so you can do so immediately. Remember, if you have a story to tell, TTV. Talk to Vosh.
4: This feels so real. Take me-
0: Treated with just as much suspicion and unfounded fear as communists or suspected communists targeted in the Red Scare, more than 10,000 queer people were fired or forced to resign as a result of this lavender scare.
1: After the break, to celebrate Pride Month, we'll revisit Abby's March interview with a little-known co-creator of the iconic rainbow flag, Lynn Segerblom.
4: Stick around. We'll be right back. The Power of Women's Music, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Women's music was about advancing feminism, giving a voice to lesbians, and promoting women in the recording industry. The first National Women's Music Festival took place in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois in 1974. Relative unknowns were set to perform early during the week-long festival, with the Saturday show headlined by Roberta Flack and Yoko Ono. When they canceled at the last minute, festival organizers scrambled to save the show they assembled several of the lesser-known artists, Chris Williamson, Meg Christian, Vicki Randall, and Margie Adam, who quickly put an act together. By pulling off a showstopper, these four women personified empowerment, the very definition of women's music. In the process, they became revered icons of the genre. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns, and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Sonia, of Disappear Fear.
2: This is Isabel Davis, producer of the documentary XY Chelsea. You are listening to IMRU Radio on KPFK. 98.7 FM Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM San Diego. 90.7 FM Los Angeles. 99.5 FM Ridgecrest and China Lake. And when you're not near off radio, you can stream us live
0: at kpfk.org or on podcast. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees.
1: And I'm Wenzel Jones.
0: We all know the rainbow flag. I have a rainbow sticker on my car right now. But how many of us know the story of how our rainbow flag really came to be? Our next guest is here to tell us that story she knows because she was there. Known at the time as Fairy Argyle Rainbow, she is also known as Lynn Sagerblom. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you, Abby. I'm going to get right to it. Who created the rainbow flag?
5: Who came up with the design idea or... Physically making it, there were three of us and a bunch of volunteers. (laughs) Every day, some volunteers would show up to the top floor gallery and say, we're here to help. And some days, it'd be the same few people, and sometimes there'd be new people. But there were three of us. One of us that did the dyeing, that was myself, and three of us that did the sewing. I only sewed at the end when we were pressed for time and all the dyeing was done because it was 1,000 yards of white cotton muslin that we hand-dyed the rainbow colors in. So I was so busy with those buckets of dye and water and I needed helpers helping me do that. And then Gilbert Baker and James McNamara were down in the third floor gallery with the sewing machines. Putting it all together. Mm-hmm. And I brought my sewing machine in. Other people were using that one. Cutting, pinning, ironing, everything after it's dyed, washed in the washer, and dried. And it has to be ironed.
0: A 60-foot-long flag. So 1978,
5: you're in San Francisco. What was the impetus to create a flag at all? I was renting space at the Gay Community Center. I was already there making my tie-dyes and clothing and fabrics that I worked with designers on and I had a little studio space there that I rented. So, I think Lee came to me and said, "Do I want to be on the decorating committee?" And I said, "Sure." Everything was much more casual in those days. Nothing was fancy. It was all volunteers. Nobody's getting paid to work in the office or where we're actually a community. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 330
5: Grove Street in San Francisco. Yeah, it was a good place.
0: My sense though is that just the little bit that I was reading about that time, there was an awareness that the eyes of the world might actually be on San Francisco and what we called the gay community at the time. And so did the flag sort of come out of that awareness?
5: You know, this is what I was... uh, This morning I was writing to one of the people involved in this whole project. I wanted to ask him, what was the exact, date of the assassination of Moscone and Milk. What was the exact date? I don't
0: know, I don't know. We can look it up.
5: You know, I think it was after this parade. Really? So
0: Harvey Milk died. You're right. 1927, 1978. Was May it after June? Yeah, it was after June. Yes. I Milk remember actually... him. He was at the parade, and he loved
5: the flags.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I... Harvey Milk hasn't just died. I really <sighs> thought that the flag came about because there was so much news coverage, but it looks like, no, there was just I, this I was like, firmament Harvey... was already there of, we're coming forward, we're stepping up. Yeah. And he was part of that.
5: He used to come in and out of the Gay Community Center, and that's where he gave his hope speech. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, yes, I I met him, but it wasn't like uh, anything because we were always running around, like, trying to get the work done. So we were busy. Everybody was. There was a lot of organizing to try and put this parade on. The flags came first. Yeah. And I have this
0: sense of the flag being something very joyful and very positive.
5: That was the whole point. Yeah. Joyful, positive. We wanted it to be beautiful. And Why a rainbow? Because that was my last name, and that was like I dyed a lot of clothing, costumes, and fabric with rainbows on them, and I love rainbows back then, and I thought, well, because... At the meeting, we were like, what should they be? And Gilbert was like, oh, let's do bunting on City Hall, which is just draped fabric of one color.
0: Old-fashioned parade decoration, yeah.
5: And then somehow I came up with the idea of, what about rainbow flags? Wouldn't that be nice? And I had some sketches. But Gilbert was not there at that meeting where we decided that it's going to be rainbow flags. And the original
0: flag was eight colors.
5: Yes. And it had pink.
0: I When I was yes. looking at them, I thought, oh, my gosh, we lost pink.
5: And we lost purple, too. We lost
0: purple, which is so funny because those are so associated with our community.
5: And the other one is I put two different kinds of blue on mm-hmm. purpose. I put the aqua blue and the royal blue. Why? Because I just love those colors. And to me, they're two different colors. In doing all the dyeing, I was just like, well, we have to have those. It goes pink, red, orange, yellow, green, a nice strong green, aqua blue, and then royal blue and then violet. Did the
0: colors originally have particular meaning or was it just that they looked nice or they were No, you, no?
5: there was no particular meaning. Mm-hmm. And then there's a weird thing that some people had never noticed about the two big flags of that day on 1978. One has pink at the top and violet at the bottom and the other one has pink at the bottom and violet at the top. Is that just because it was hung upside down? No, I did that on purpose. Really? Why? Yeah, because I wanted them to be different. Oh. so You know, this is on purpose. It's my thing. Yeah. And there were two more differences that nobody seems to...
0: It was the other difference that one of them was based on the American flag? Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah, that was considered my flag because I did the star blocking with wood blocks and dyes. I love American flags. I don't know.
0: It's so funny because I actually bought a rainbow flag right after the Women's March. I thought, I need a flag for marching with because you do. And I bought a rainbow American flag. So, where the stripes are the rainbow. And I thought, oh, well, this is somebody's fun play on this. And it was so wonderful to realize no, actually, this was for an real. original flag. It was for real. And you did that. Yes. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Abby. (laughs) And there's one more weird thing. Okay. Okay, I just have to show it to you on this.
0: We're looking at some amazing photographs of the original flags flying.
5: See the American flag here, the rainbow American flag? Yes. Okay, we've got our eight colors. Mm -hmm. We've got our stars in the corner. Mm -hmm. And you see that thing right there?
0: It looks like another star right in the middle of a stripe.
5: Yeah, it's in the aqua blue stripe. I sewed a piece of LeMay. It's silver, a silver star in LeMay on the aqua blue stripe. And then if you look at the other side, it's gold LeMay. They're right on each other oh, in yeah. the aqua stripe. Because I had some silver and gold LeMay from the Angels of Light Theater Company, that I'm my costumes. I had scraps. So I was like, oh, we need a bit of glitter. <laughs> so I put silver on one side and gold on the other. And then you just stitch it, and they line up, and it's sturdy. So we lost pink. Purple and LeMay, that just seems wrong. Yes, it does. <laughs> and I guess in some of the flags, there's just blue, royal blue, mm-hmm. no aqua.
0: Yeah. This is Abby Dees.
5: And Wenzel Jones, and you're listening to IMRU Radio.
0: We're talking with Lynn Segerblom about the origins of the rainbow flag. So when you look at the flags now, when you see that now we have a six color flag typically, although people do variants. Mm-hmm.
5: How do you feel
0: when you look at it?
5: Oh, it's beautiful. I love it.
0: you feel a sense of, of ownership of it?
5: It makes me happy when I see the rainbow flags. Even if they're polyester, even if they're six colors, they're there.
0: Yeah. Do you think about those times of when you created it, or do you think of how it's evolved?
5: Yeah. Gilbert needs all the credit for pounding the pavement and promoting the flags and stuff. But really, his flag was different from mine. The original flags that we made in 78... His were six colors. There was no stars and stripes. It was just stripes. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have the LeMay star. And they were polyester because it's really hard to do hand dyed fabric. Yeah. It's and not easy.
0: I'm still getting my head around the fact that this is a 60 foot long
5: flag. Yeah. Why did it need to be so big? Well, because at UN Plaza, those two flag poles are 80 feet tall. And there's two of them. So we know we need two flags and then. James and I started figuring out. Well, if it's 80 feet tall, the flag should be. Some people say it was 40 by 60, but I think it was 30 by 60.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: We wish we could find one of these. That's
0: my next question. We don't know where they are.
5: They were stolen sometime after '78 and before the parade in '79. I was still at the Gay Community Center working there with my little studio. And I remember I was in the top floor gallery with Lee, and Gilbert came in and said the flags have been stolen.
0: Had they been kept at, at the, the gay top
5: floor com- gallery in the, com- the gay community centers? Yes, they were on a pedestal, folded up. It takes at least two hulking people to haul one flag. I think we had three people on each leg once it was folded up to get it in and out of the truck and carry it to the spot. You need two to three people, it's very heavy, those weigh a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's so it weird. was a group of people that stole them. Somebody one knows. person could not do it alone.
0: Somebody knows where those flags are.
5: That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Let me just say yeah. that. That really broke my heart.
0: This is Abby Dees from IMRU Radio, and I'm talking with Lynn Sagerblom, also known as Fairy Argyle Rainbow, one of the creators of the Rainbow Flag. Before we started recording, you talked a bit about the people. Who were the people That and what the community was? We used the term gay, mm-hmm. which was sort of our catch-all at the time. But you've described something more like what we talk about when we talk about the queer community now. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about who you perceived the community that this flag represented to be.
5: I just thought it was everyone, our friends, our circle... It was in a theater company. We had a lot of gender-bending guys dressed as girls, girls dressed as guys. I know I went through a time where I used to wear suit and ties, men's clothes, and hats, fedoras, and stuff like that. And it was all for fun. And I knew some very good artists, too. That whole group, Mm -hmm. the Top Floor Gallery and all that, and the Princess of Argyle and Lee Mentley, the salons that they put on with the artists. You know, displaying. But it
0: wasn't an exclusively gay group?
5: No, but I don't think it mattered. It really didn't matter to me, to be honest. You didn't
0: identify as gay.
5: I did have a girlfriend way back then Mm -hmm. for a while, but she was in love with my boyfriend, (laughs) and it turned out to be a big mess. I was really young, and I really didn't have any experience when I came to San Francisco. I was still a virgin. So, what do I know?
0: What a place Uh, to go as a virgin. (laughs) (laughs)
5: What does it matter, you know? I didn't think it was, like, such a big deal. So you like blue shoes, Mm -hmm. and I like pink shoes. Mm -hmm. But that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. To me, it was just like, we're friends. Hey, this is going to—we're going to make some flags. We're going to do some dyeing. We're going to make some clothes. Do you want to be part of it?
0: What does the flag mean to you now? Like, I know it brings up memories, but what do you think it represents?
5: It stands for the whole— LGBTQ however you want to say it community but to me it's also straight people it's a flag for them as well yeah yeah and also people's color of skin that really doesn't matter that just is another item like to me i think rainbow includes every color of person yeah. you know and gender whatever and it's just like and who... they go together nicely people have been using the rainbow symbol for centuries it's not new
0: So I had always heard the story of the flag, that it was sort of one person, our own sort of Betsy Ross, Gilbert Baker, who you've talked about. And the funny thing is, we know Betsy Ross didn't really do the American flag. That story's not really true. true. And Gilbert Baker was an activist who recently died. But... Listening to you, I hear that it wasn't just Gilbert Baker, it was all of you. You were key to this. You had the rainbow name, not only that, but you had the rainbow concept, and he was sewing, and you were dying, and people were carrying and schlepping and buying and all of this <sighs> yes. stuff. How did we lose this story?
5: At the point when the flags became stolen, I left for Marin County. I had a friend who rented an apartment and said, come be my roommate. He had a girlfriend named Trisha. We lived in Sausalito. It was affordable back then. It wasn't like how it is now. Mm -hmm. And that whole thing of the stealing of the flags, I just couldn't understand how somebody would do that. And I feel like I just fled. Plus my major clothing designer that I dyed all her silks for her lines, she moved from San Francisco to Marin. So for a while, I was taking a bus over to work in her workshop, and then I just moved over there, and then, you know, I was gone. Mm-hmm. So it would be easy for Gilbert to come in and take all the credit, because James McNamara, although he was still alive at that point, he did pass away from AIDS, mm-hmm. okay? And James McNamara taught Gilbert how to sew. We couldn't have done it without James McNamara, okay? Okay. Gilbert and James were friends before, but they had parted ways. And I'm in Marin. I'm out of touch. Oh, this was key. 330 Grove got torn down and made into a parking lot, so there was nowhere to meet up for us. Mm -hmm. So the group sort of fractured. Things fractured. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so Gilbert Baker kind of took the narrative, it sounds like.
5: It was ripe, he could just grab it, Mm -hmm. and one thing led to another, he exaggerated, and then, you know, it was just...
0: Do you feel at all sort of resentful about that, or how do you feel?
5: I try not to think too heavily on it, because if I did, I could really be angry. And I also feel really hurt, and it's also wrong.
0: Does anybody own the flag? No. Certainly, it doesn't sound like there is any copyright issue or anything. No one's making any that claim like that. And
5: um, even if they did, his flag was different. He had six colors, Mm -hmm. usually, and it was polyester.
0: When you see the flag and all the variations that people have done, you know, I read that In some cities, they've added an extra color to represent their city. Mm -hmm. I've got a little rainbow heart on the back of my car right now in the parking lot. People putting their symbols on top of it. How does that make you feel? That's okay. Why
5: not? Let's spread the rainbow. It
0: doesn't offend sort of your designer sensibilities? No,
5: no, Mm -hmm. because I'm secure, and I know what I did. Yeah. And even though I hadn't got credit for it, except with a few people— friends. I know what I did. Mm -hmm. And so if they want to add to it, hey, why not take the rainbow and make it yours how you like it?
0: It sounds like, as you talk about this, that you're also... It's not... Yes, you want the story told accurately, and you want to be back in the story Mm because you were there. But it also sounds like you are kind of pining for a spirit of that time, where it wasn't just one gay man running with a vision. It was all sorts of people coming together for a vision not for money. Yes. But for a vision, is that right?
5: Yeah, that would be great. And you know, back then um, we were all volunteers, but we things were we lived like gypsies. Yeah. And we got things out of free boxes and we were we were vegetarians back then. We ate a lot of brown rice and <laughs> tofu and rents were not expensive. Yeah, so It was a different you know, city. It was very, very different. And um, people came together at that 330 Grove. And also that theater company that I belonged to, the Angels of Light, that put on free shows. That Which was, is
0: where you got your, your name, yeah. Argyle Rainbow.
5: Yeah, the Princess of Argyle named me Fairy, mm-hmm. And then her name was Argyle. So I thought, that would be great. I'll take that name. And then we had a friend named Rainbow Stars. And also, I loved rainbows, and I was doing a lot of rainbow tie-dyes. Later in some interview, Gilbert says he named me Fairy Argyle Rainbow in 79 or something, or 80, which is a complete, utter lie. It's, oh, just like, man. completely not true.
0: Do you think we can get back to a time like that? Do you think we can have moments like that again?
5: I think we could have the spirit of it, that we could regenerate it because it's really you know yes we made we made stuff but we also created a feeling yeah i don't think that feeling's dead
0: how do we get back
5: to that well or we um, wake up that spirit yeah i'm hoping to remake some small rainbow flags but mm-hmm. they will be cotton and they will be eight colors and they will be hand dyed oh I'm going to do my two original designs. This is so I can raise the money because I don't have the money to buy the stuff. I currently work doing security for a company, and it's not the kind of job you can buy stuff on.
0: If people are interested in knowing more about this,
5: where do they find you? It's a GoFundMe page, Mm -hmm. um, Making Historic. Pride flags with Lynn Segerblum, and um, we're uh, we just ha- got a GoFundMe page, and so we want to remake the original two designs, but we're just going to start small. At this point, I can't even make one, even yeah. if I did it in my bathtub. All the dyeing, I just can't actually go and buy the dyes and the the fabric, and I.
0: It's a labor-intensive uh,
5: process. Uh, a helper to help sew, because I'll be doing all the dyeing and ironing, cutting, and pinning. It's, it's old hard. school. It's hard to do it. You're s- only one person, really. Mm-hmm. It's like, forget about it.
0: <laughs> I think the timing is great for that. I think it's more important than ever to remind us where we come from. Um, and also get back to this idea that we do have to do this together. Yeah. And I appreciate that.
5: Yeah. And there is a spirit. I think it's still So you're keeping that
0: spirit going. Uh, wonderful. Okay, Lynn Sagerblooms, thank you so much for taking the time to give us this important bit of our own history back. And I think I want an eight-color rainbow flag soon from you. I'm really looking forward to that.
5: <laughs> thank you, Abby. Thank you so much. I hope I can deliver.
0: <laughs> Thanks. That's it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's executive producer, Steve Pride, Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns, plus our tireless director of podcast, Vash Bodhi.
1: Find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio. If you are interested in volunteering with IMRU to help make the magic happen, email volunteer at imruradio.org.
0: Also, catch us at iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Stitcher, Anchor.fm, CastBox, and Pocket Casts.
1: Good night.